Welcome to a Formula One duos show. Uh, this is Jared alongside my Formula One sidekick, Lucas. My Formula One partner, not 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 a sidekick. It's mm-hmm. an, it's an equal partnership here. Uh, Unlike Luke, some uh, some Formula One teams out there, we are true equals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no number one or number two driver here. Um, obviously, um, we, we are we are podcasting fresh off of the British Street uh, Grand Prix at Silverstone. It was awesome to see. Uh, honestly, really beautiful track. With it looks very British, with just like with the really like well manicured long, uh, grass on the sides and stuff, and a bunch of British people there probably getting drunk. Um, definitely a very British event. Uh, so I, it was really fun to watch. Uh, we'll get straight into. I mean, the elephant in the room, the the part of the race that you can't miss, the lap one incident between Max and Lewis. It was a, definitely a shame that they did come together because it was. It was probably the best racing I've seen live since I've become a Formula One fan. Uh, super exciting. But Lucas, what are your let's let, let's give a little bit more background too. Christian Horner said uh, called it a hollow victory for Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I didn't catch the F1 commentator's name, but after the race, he said he didn't agree. Max later tweeted out that Hamilton's celebration was disrespectful since Max was still in the hospital. Lucas, what are your thoughts on the Hamilton Verstappen incident and like any other kind of the fallout and aftermath of it? So I think I honestly tend to side with the commentators here. I think if Horner were right, every single race that had a wreck in it would be considered a hollow victory, which it absolutely is not and absolutely should not be. Things like this happen all the time. And while they might not have like the consequences in those cases that they do in this case, and that it's two drivers fighting for the World Drivers' Championship, it shouldn't degrade the value of what happened, especially because I don't think Lewis did it intentionally either. What happened here was you had two aggressive drivers, both fighting for the World Drivers' Championship, and they came together. And did Lewis probably play a little bit more of a part of it than Max did? Sure. But I think overall, at the end of the day, it's a racing incident. Lewis got his 10-second penalty, which I think was deserved. But I don't think it's some sort of like egregious miscarriage of justice that this happened. <laughs> I think that there are multiple instances previously this year of the two of them coming together, and Max has gotten the better of it. This just happened to flip the other way in a more dramatic way. So I, I, we're going to talk about sore losers later, but I think Christian Horner is being a little bit of a sore loser here. Yeah. Well, well, here's my thing about it: is there's kind of no point in asking the pundit, or excuse me, asking the team principals and drivers about mm-hmm. what they thought of the penalty because they don't care about being impartial. They're they're trying to yeah. win. That's that's their job. So of course mm-hmm. they're going to say that was it was Lewis's fault if you're on the Red Bull side or if you're on. Uh, the Mercedes side, you're going to say Lewis already had that corner or whatever you want to mm. say about it, right? Like your view on the incident is, even as a fan, is largely going to come down to which driver you like better and who you were rooting for, essentially. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And to mm-hmm. steal a line from uh, one of my friends, Evan, who writes an F1 blog that I read, if you do want to read it, it's called everlastingitch.wordpress.com. Weird name. He'll tell you that's mm-hmm. a weird name too. But anyway, <laughs> he said, while unfairness abounds in the sport, culpability is a different matter which basically means that the result of the crash obviously is unfair to max but Mm -hmm. the that doesn't really matter into determining the penalty it's more just about culpability and like who was to blame the fact that max came out worse doesn't that shouldn't be a factor in terms of um what the penalty is that being said you know lewis got to fix the car under red flag conditions Mm -hmm. he got team orders to be able to pass bottas right like he definitely got a lot of breaks. You do have to admit, admit that, but mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the responsibility for the incident. Uh, and watching it live, I thought that uh, ten seconds was like pretty fair um, mm-hmm. in terms of for the penalty. Like, 
I know they were saying this is the second most lenient penalty they could give, but considering the fact that they were debating between is this even a penalty or not and mm-hmm. what to give him, like I don't think anything more severe than that would have been that fair, you know. So I thought ten seconds like in live time without seeing the race result was like, yeah, that's kind of what I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, same thing here as well. And I think that, like, anything else to some extent would have been, like, an overcorrection and unfair to Lewis in a way that, like, mm-hmm. he's undeserved. I know, like, there's been a lot of flack I've seen on the internet. Um, I mean, like, well, they were never going to punish the British driver at the British Grand Prix. <laughs> but I don't think that that's nah. true at all. I, it was, at the end of the day, a racing incident which Lewis had a little bit more part in. And I think you just have to chalk it up to that and like i don't know i know it must be tough for max and for christian horner and for all of them because like they finally feel like they're you know gaining momentum building that driver's championship lead and then this incident happens on lap one and they feel yeah. like they've been deprived of like this opportunity to have you know their lead build even further especially after you know max passing lewis um in the sprint race on saturday um mm-hmm. i think that they felt like they were in a really good position to win the race and so like more than anything else, it's just emotion. Because what you get in, what you got into before is true. Like, Red Bull's no incentive to be like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> things happen, Lewis happen, exactly. you know, racing incident. For them, it's, no, our driver got spun out, had to leave the race. That's his fault. Mm-hmm. And I saw some people, I forget who it came from, too, saying, like, he should be disqualified for the race. Like, that's it was just Helmet like, Marco, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just completely disproportionate. Yeah. Like, and I think... I mean, part of it comes from the fact that, like we said, the bias of you being on the team. But I think people also just want to see Lewis off the top. Well, yeah, as sure. well. And this just like, this just seems like you know, like a a fate sort of thing falling into his lap to continue his dominance. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think too, you were you were kind of alluding to this where like Max passed him in the sprint race, and I think, mm-hmm. obviously, if the track the track layout is going to be different if you go into a different track. But I think because this was the British Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Lewis was like brought his A game and was like I'm not giving up this corner like mm-hmm. we are gonna I think he maybe in the back of his mind was like I'm either taking the lead on this corner or we're both or we're getting in an incident basically yep. I think uh-huh. that's kind of because he want he really you could tell he really wanted to win in front of the British crowd and on it, it was cool to see like him mm-hmm. like flying the flag and everything and hear 140,000 people cheering for him or whatever it was Yeah, the attendance was there and, and uh, I definitely think like I don't know if you watched the post-race reaction after the sprint, but when they were like kind of going around in the trolley on the track and it was like Mm -hmm. that bizarre interview, I thought it was bizarre. You could tell Lewis did not want to be there at all. And Mm -hmm. he was, he was pissed and he was, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think if this was any other race, there would, it wouldn't have been as hard fought there in my opinion. I agree. And I think like that coupled with the fact that like, as I think near you mentioned before that like, Max was building that lead too. And I think that like the combination of Max building the lead mm-hmm. with this being his home course and like all that sort of stuff just like extra motivated him to be like, I like I think of like the Michael Jordan like and I took that personally meme of like <laughs> Max beating him the day before. Like Exactly. I like I respect Lewis because I think he will do anything to win in a lot of situations. And it's just like the ultimate competitor. And I think yeah. that more than anything else was on full force today in the Grand Prix and I think that's what ended up causing the incident not any sort of like intentional malice or anything like that right no yeah I mean it's gonna go down as a definitely like a I mean there's gonna be the controversy with it I'm sure but it's gonna go down as like a pretty great drive for him coming back from oh, that yeah. penalty and 
coming back from like fifth, I think, after he served the penalty. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here's here's an interesting take uh, from Lawrence Barreto when he mm-hmm. when he did a little bit of analysis on the crashes. Why didn't Max just yield and let him get let him get first? He already yeah. has thirty three. He's already thirty three points up. You better to lose seven than twenty five. What do you That's think? A good of that? point. I mean, like. I get that in theory. It feels like one of those like sports things though that's like, well, you should always do like the optimal thing, like the less risk thing. But if you're like actually the athlete in that situation, yeah. like you're never gonna actually do that. Like your competitive drive is too high. Like it's like, well, like, you know, if the basketball team just tanks, they'll get the best player and be good <laughs> next year. But if you're a guy on the team, like yeah. y- you wanna compete and win. Yeah. And if you're max, you wanna compete and win the race. So like all that might be like the optimal idea in theory. And I do see like the merit of it, especially because I think Red Bull might have had the better car and he could have, you know, passed them back again at some point. I think, yeah. like, if you're going to make the case for anything of him yielding, it should be that it's low risk, you can pass him later. Not that, like, well, you'd rather he be first and you be second. Than right. You be, then, like, that argument. So, well, I do, like, think there's some merit to the idea that he should have just let him pass. I, I don't know, if you're an athlete in that situation and, like, somebody's trying to pass you, there's no way you yield there. Like, you're going to try and win. Unless it's, like, very obvious that like you're gonna lose and it's gonna pass but yeah. even then yeah so, exactly what do you think i mean yeah i pretty much i pretty much agree with you on that thing uh, on that uh, on all points I, I think that it in general like f1 like fans and pundits seem to get like way more involved in like these penalties and stuff than like an nba fans do about fouls mm-hmm. Because because yeah. ba- basically, I mean, F one penalties and incidents are just more spectacular than an NBA yeah. foul or like a soccer foul, uh, mm-hmm. I guess. In that, like, basically every F one incident is like a foul in the fourth quarter, a, a, right, mm-hmm. of an NBA game, yeah. where they they all have that magnitude. Because like like you said, that literally cost Max the race. Where like mm-hmm. a foul in the first quarter of the NBA finals or whatever, you can't really say that's the moment that they lost the game or whatever. Exactly. Right? Well, because they're so much more infrequent as well. Like, fouls yeah, happen all the time true. in the NBA. Like, I think the best equivalent to it is probably, like, a penalty kick decision in soccer, in which yeah. it can be, like, super consequential and doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think I agree. They, like, the investment is due to the fact that, like, every incident is, like, you know, end of the fourth quarter, big foul call decision. Because, I don't know, the commentators said it when they originally thought Lewis had a stop-and-go penalty um, instead of just the 10-second in the pits where he would have had to enter the pit stop for 10 seconds and just go right back out instead of it just being so yeah for whatever reason the commentators i think initially misinterpreted it as that instead of just the 10 seconds and Mm -hmm. they're like oh well lewis's race is ruined and if like that were the case then it would have been ruined. he would have been 40 seconds back Mm -hmm. of of where he was before and like i guess like that's harder to make up when you still have to stop and everything and like he's a great driver we saw him come back today but like if something like that happens, that is so consequential in determining the outcome of an event versus anything else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What about? Um, do you have any specific thoughts on Hamilton like celebrating after the race? I have some, but I, I want to know if you have any. He won. He can celebrate. It was clear that Max was fine. Okay, that's. that's I'm what like, I think. Pr- I don't know if it was clear that Max was. F- fine this is well he did walk out but yeah i say if you win a race you should be able to celebrate i know people were like he's waving the flag and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and like well it's his his home race yeah Yeah, i mean it is you have to acknowledge it is weird that lewis was celebrating when like he kind of put another guy in the hospital but yeah he did walk out on his own like lewis what he could have done is asked 
how Max was doing like during the post race interview, like maybe acknowledge yeah. that a little bit or something. But that would have been like more courteous. But I mean, he doesn't need to like. What do you want him to do? Like cry on the podium, or yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you want. Or him just to do. like he get can out celebrate of the car the all sad. Yeah, and like I, I just think like the fact that Max walked out on his own power under his own power is like fine. Like it took him the ho- the hospital. They even said this during the broadcast for like precautionary reasons, just to like make sure he was okay. Not because he had like very obviously been injured. And like, I think like what you had mentioned as well about like a a nice nod to like, is Max okay? in the post-race interview would have been more than enough. And he did, he did ask if Max was okay during the race on the radio, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's fine. I had no real problem with it at the end of the day. Gotcha. We'll see. Well, uh, Moving on then, uh, this race, uh, before it, there was sort of a growing gap, like there was between Max and Lewis, between Red Bull and Mercedes, and Mercedes pretty much closed the gap today in terms of the Constructors' Championship. Currently, Red Bull is only four points ahead. They have 289 points. Mercedes has 285. So, Jared, this point, who do you think is the edge in the championship? Do you think it's Red Bull or Mercedes? it's it's honestly so tough i i'm going to default though to the seven-time world champion and mercedes mm-hmm. i i'm up until the french grand prix i did not i didn't buy any of mercedes narratives like throwing out that like oh red bull's ahead and like we have catching up to do i i didn't really mm-hmm. buy any of that to me it felt like we'll get into this later too it felt mm-hmm. like mercedes was tr- was trying to like build up their own legend and be like oh look at like mm-hmm. build their build their mountain to climb over yeah but I can't, and I can't really say though that Red Bull definitively have the better car when you look at Bottas's consistency in the Mercedes as of late, and Perez's inconsistency, especially since yeah. Baku, basically. Mm-hmm. And like Mercedes have been here before. Now Valtteri is is ahead of Perez in the driver standings too. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know if I can definitively say. I mean Max is obviously driving the Red Bull better than Lewis is driving the Mercedes at this moment. But I don't know if that means Red Bull have the better car. When you look at, in my opinion, I think that the Bottas-Perez battle is going to show what the better car is rather than Mm -hmm. who the better driver is. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. My one worry, though, is that Hamilton and Mercedes have have actually made more mistakes than Red Bull and have honestly just caught a lot of breaks. So when you look at, like, I mean, they made the mistakes in the French Grand Prix with pitting being overcut, I believe in that race monaco gp trying the overcut but then getting uh or trying the undercut but then getting passed by everybody else on that race uh obviously the baku uh like red after the red flag when max crashed Mm -hmm. hamilton pressed the magic button and like overheated his brakes and all that Mm -hmm. the biggest mistake of the year hamilton crashed like an uh, by himself in the second race of the season the imola grand prix Mm -hmm. but basically got completely bailed out by the fact that bottas also crashed and on the mm-hmm. red flag allowed him to unlap himself. Like he would have been a lapped down if they would have restarted under normal, mm-hmm. under a safety car. So yeah, that's uh or not even under a safety car, I guess just re- restarting. So that's my only worry with Mercedes is that like, they've actually made a fair amount of mistakes and under pressure, which I think is yeah. interesting. But I think, and I wrote someone else to counter that. I think it's almost encouraging for Mercedes chances that they have made so many mistakes and they're still so close to Red Bull yeah. at that point. Like you think a team that's, seven-time world champion has consistently dominated this era of the sport like the fact that they've had so many mistakes and are still so close like i feel like there's got to be some course correction there i think today at the british grand prix you sort of showed that like it was a 
despite you know the Lewis and Max crash, like it was a very well-oiled machine of a team. Like both Bottas and Hamilton were driving well. When Hamilton uh, came up to Bottas, they let him pass, and there didn't seem to be really any issue with that. Like there happened in the past when mm-hmm. Bottas would sort of hold Lewis up and stuff. So it seems like I don't know they're working out the kinks in the team at this point, and I think that. For that reason, I trust them more. I think Bottas is just more comfortable in his car than I think Checo is in his. And I think the two things I wrote down is for the biggest reasons I trust Mercedes is they can correct their mistakes and that Checo has just been really, really inconsistent so far. And like he won races, um, but then he performs like he did this week where he's back in the field, has to work his way up and can't really make a difference. I don't think there's any reason with the car that uh, Perez has that he should be fifth in the World Drivers Championship standings now. Like I think he should be pretty clearly fourth. I don't know. I, I, well, then like, that that like brings up the question though: is is it the does Red Bull actually have the better car? Those is the question. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's a fair point. But I think that their car is probably within the margin of error of Mercedes' car in terms of performance this year. And mm-hmm. I think that I don't know. I just. The fact that he's behind Lando, honestly, the fact that both yeah. Bottas and uh, Checo are behind Lando probably shouldn't happen. Even as somebody who's like a big McLaren fan, like they're, we'll get into this later when we talk about Lando. But like, um, I don't know. I just and I trust Bottas too more than I trust Checo to sort of like course correct, just because I think yeah, Valtteri's just been such a consistent driver over his career, even if that's consistently worse than Lewis. I think he can just keep clocking up podiums and results, whereas I don't know if I trust Checo to be able to do that every week. And I think that, like you said before, it's going to be the battle that determines who wins the Constructors' Championship. I think I have to give Bottas the edge over Checo in that case. Yeah, Checo's inconsistent. He's been kind of maddening. Like his sprint race yeah. mistake was an unforced error. He basically just, exactly. I don't know, I guess got on the throttle too early, mm-hmm. according to the commentators, and just spun out and... Um, I mean, both of them have been kind of... Bottas, is, I think, is starting to like get more comfortable with the car, but he's been pretty inconsistent as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think uh, going back to a point you made earlier, I just trust Mercedes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They like, yeah, they have the image of being the well-oiled machine and like the German efficiency and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And they have Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, that was, he was there that today. Was <laughs> that was funny to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said... I do think that the Perez Bottas battle will show which team has the better car, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that point as well. So, uh, more Mercedes talk. I have some strong thoughts on this one, actually. How, okay. Do you think? So, Helmut Marco earlier this week uh, in an interview said that um, I think he said specifically Lewis had been a sore loser, and um, there's kind of narratives going around that Mercedes have been complaining a lot, obviously to the FIA. And that Mercedes have been sore losers this year. Do you agree, Lucas, that Mercedes have been sore losers? Maybe to some extent. And I'll, I'll keep it brief because I know I'll let you have your strong opinions <laughs> on this too. But I, uh, to some extent, yes. Like the complaining about Red Bull cheating is annoying. But I like I don't think they've been uniquely sore losers. And I don't no. think that like Lewis has been a particularly sore loser. I think he's just a super competitive guy and he wants every... You know, he just lashes out when he doesn't win like anybody who's that competitive would. And I think that, like, other teams have been equally sore losers. Like, even in my few years of following Formula One, like, everybody complained about Racing Point last year. Like, <laughs> and that was not a Mercedes thing last year. That's, I don't know, 
And did they break the rules? Sure. But, you know, I think, like, you see that Sword Loser Dome come out. And I think Red Bull, like, in some cases, has been just as bad in terms of Sword Loser Dome. It's, I wrote down the two quotes we had we talked about earlier in the show about Horner saying it was a hollow victory or whatever, <laughs> which is just, like, classic Sword Loser talk. And, yeah. and Max's comments about being disrespectful and unsportsmanlike celebrating, too. Like, I think those are just equally Sword Loser, like, type of quotes as to anything that Mercedes has done this year. So are they so sore losers in some cases? Sure. But like, I don't think in any unique way that like really like reflects super poorly on them. Okay. That's, that's probably true that they haven't uniquely been sore losers, but they absolutely have been sore losers. Yeah. Yeah. Opinion. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dispute they've, that. They've, su- they've supported all these FIA rules that like, honestly were specifically targeted to harm Red Bull mm-hmm. from, from our view. I mean, obviously, so there was the flexible rear wings uh, right before, like, right around the time of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. There was, and, like, Mercedes was like, we might protest this race result or whatever. Like, that was, that was annoying. I was like, come on, you just, you just got beat. And, like, and then, so then the FIA, like, issued a technical directive that was like, we need to close the loophole on these flexible rear rear wings. And then Red Bull still won the next race. Uh, then they they did the technical directive that slowed down pit stops. I didn't get too much into that, but like that's specifically targeting Red Bull as their best team in pit stops. So I thought that was annoying. And then and then Total Wolf was like, "Yeah, I definitely support that change." And I was like, "I don't know. I think Total especially has been like at the start of the year it was funny because Lewis was like, "I don't want to get into this war of words or whatever," but they've they've been in this war of words the entire year, which I think has been funny. And yeah, like you said, they've basically. I mean, they've essentially implied that Red Bull's been cheating and that's how they've gotten their advantage. And, like, when that the Honda engine was, like, somehow upgraded before the French Grand Prix and, like, they haven't outright said it, but that's what they're implying, basically, is that, like, the way that they're getting this advantage is unfair, essentially. And, and yeah, when you're in a heated competition, you're going to try to get any advantage you can get. And one thing that's, like, unique about F1 is that the rules kind of can change during the season the rules of the game can change like the technical directives are officially i think a clarification of the existing rules but and they're like intended to close loopholes but essentially it's changing the rules you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i think for me i i kind of view mercedes as like alabama football for me in terms Mm -hmm. of to use like an, an analogy for sports american sports fans but they're kind of getting into New England Patriots territory where they're being like a little annoying about how they go about their business, in my opinion. But when you're the GOAT, you know, like Hamilton, in my opinion, from what I, I mean, I've only been watching Formula One for a year and a half at this point. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, Hamilton's the, gr- the greatest of all time. And like Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. Undisputed mm-hmm. In football, it's pretty undisputed that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. People yeah. are trying to knock you off, right? And like you don't, mm-hmm. people don't want to see the that same dominance over and over again. Me, I mean, me included, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think to like, to some extent, like, I think just cause I like Lewis, like I'll, I'll take the side of like, it's just them fighting back against like everybody coming for them. Like, and yeah. I don't know, like, I think that like, has it been a little annoying about the way they've gone about their business? Sure. But would it also be like super annoying at every stage of like, like the season to like, have people coming for you, trying to knock you down every peg. And I think that'd also be annoying. So, like, <laughs> while I do agree they've been sore losers, like, maybe it's a, a slightly appropriate response, but only slightly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, one thing to, like, go against what I, what my argument has been is that, like, yeah, when you looked at last year, they, they, um, the FIA, I would say, 
did some rules that were specifically targeted to slow down Mercedes, like the, the uh, party mode mm-hmm. qualifying exactly. stuff last year. Mm-hmm. So it happens. And like Red Bull, this is one of my favorite moments in the Drive to Survive Season 3 when Red Bull was like scouring their own video trying to find a time where Hamilton didn't yes. slow down for yellow uh-huh. flags. And I was like, this looks completely ridiculous that they're like, we found footage that the FIA didn't find. I thought that mm-hmm. was... So you're right. Everybody does it, but I, in my... When, when the team that's at the top does it, though, it's a different story, I think. Then yeah, it then it kind of it looks different, you know. Mm-hmm. And what yeah, you look one almost thing, a little bit ungrateful, like that, like for all the success yeah. that you're having. Yeah, just way. like, yeah, a little bit like that. And I think one thing that does annoy me, the hook about Mercedes, I I don't know like what exactly their strategy is, but they're not like them. They're a little like tricky and like kind of deceitful sometimes. And like in practice mm-hmm. sessions. I don't know if they deliberately slow down their car or if they like actually just can't figure out the car in practice sessions. Mm-hmm. They were seven tenths off the pace in free practice one, and then somehow Lewis just came and had the fastest lap in qualifying. <laughs> and then like yeah. Lewis always saying, "Oh, my tires are gone," and then he sets the fastest lap. Yeah. I don't know, like which I mean that's strategy, but it's mind games. Yeah. It's mind game. They play mind games. Yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely do. So, I think it's just when, when you're at the top. You, people get annoyed with, I mean when you and you win people get annoyed by stuff yep. so that's part of that's part of it for me too I think mm-hmm. yeah no I mean that's 100% fair I mean I don't like Alabama and I don't like the Patriots exactly like I'm never I'm shocked that in some ways I have like somewhat of an endearing view towards Mercedes in a lot of I mean, situations you, you, re- you have to respect them they're freaking yeah yeah a well-oiled machine so yeah what about uh a non-well-oiled machine uh, <laughs> owned by Lauren Stroll. Aston Martin have been a little underwhelming. Well, Lucas, why don't you tell me, what are your thoughts on Aston Martin this season? So uh, since transforming from Racing Point this offseason, their color scheme is not the only thing that's gotten worse on that team. The whole oh. team has fallen off. If you put aside Vettel's podium in Azerbaijan, the team has really just absolutely failed to compete this season. Seb, despite that podium has finished or has yeah has finished outside um of the points seven times so far. Oh wow. He sits tenth in the World Drivers Championship standings while Lance Stroll, the other uh Aston Martin driver, is currently twelfth, although he's only failed to finish outside the podium four times. Uh Seb's podium basically just gives him the advantage, even though he's been like slightly worse at, on average this season. Mm-hmm. But I think the glaring thing here, and this sort of like ties into some of the controversy of last year is that they no longer have the tracing point car. So because they can't rely on the old Mercedes designs and have to start more from scratch, I think the car is definitely worse than it was before. And I think something that compounds that is the fact that because next year in 2022, the car differs so dramatically in terms of its specifications from what it's like now, this is almost sort of a lost year for them in that like they would have had to make a ton of like completely overhaul the car this year to like, you know, take out all the elements stolen and do like everything else um it would have been like a huge engineering process to like try and redesign the perfect car for this year when you're already focusing on 2022 so i think like honestly one of the biggest things about it is that it's just like a sort of a weird gap year for Aston martin and that like they can't rely on the car that they had last year but it's not worth it to put the time and energy into a car for this year when you're preparing for the huge redesign in 2022 so i think they've just sort of put out a mediocre car this year that's not going to get a whole ton better and they did I read an interview with Nico Hulkenberg to where he said that it's like the car's just at this point, like it is what it is. Like yeah. at this point, all the teams are focused so much on 2022 that they're just going to sort of phone it in from this point on their car unless they're really competing for 
the championship this year. So really outside of Red Bull and Mercedes, like pretty much all the team's energies is focused on 2022 now. And that's the case with Aston Martin. And they just sort of got caught in this bad year. And I mean, it, it sucks for Vettel and for Stroll who, I mean, Vettel, his, you know, his skill is unquestioned, but Stroll who felt like someone who was coming up, who was like starting to make a name for himself in Formula One over the past few years. It kind of, it's tough for him that he got sort of stuck with the bad car this year. And I mm-hmm. think it, I don't know, negatively hurts the perception of the team that at this point they're sort of mired in midfield obscurity, whereas last year they would have been third overall had it not been for the points penalty. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree pretty much a lot of those points. I'm not really a big fan of Aston Martin, to be honest. Just, no, nor am I. I don't really like Otmar that much. I know people are like after Drive to Survive are like, oh, he looks so stressed and like they were like mm-hmm. on his side. I'm not. He's pretty testy in interviews a lot. I'm not really a huge fan of him. Uh, I don't have any problem with like with the strolls, like especially Lance. I don't really have any problem with him. He's seems like a pretty good person, and Vettel, uh, I think, is fun and like mm-hmm. you know, I'm rooting for him, but I, I don't really have that much confidence in him necessarily. No, uh, I think you know, at I don't. This point, he's just like past his best. Yeah, like, it was that's fine, but like I don't know, seeing how he handled the Ferrari last year too is just sort of like. It doesn't inspire huge confidence in his abilities at this point. Exactly. So yeah, I it is it is kind of lost year for them, and they're I'm sure internally they're like yeah, just 2022 is the focus at this point. Yeah, no, no, there's talk too of apparently people making requests to go back to the pink coloring as well. Yeah, I heard about that. So I don't think that's going to happen, but apparently they're going to alter the green to make it pop a little more. So yeah, Yeah, the green. So you don't like the green. Is it- I don't like. It. I'm not a huge fan. Okay. No. Yeah, it's okay. It's not my favorite. Yeah. No. So well, we mentioned one driver who you know was in the sort of conversation of up and coming drivers earlier with a Lance Stroll, but even though he's sort of fallen off, there still are a lot of uh, great young drivers in Formula One who are making a name for themselves. Um, there have been highs for this group of young drivers, people like Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, George Russell, and Carlos Sainz. Currently, Lando sits in P3 in the Drivers' Championship with a whopping 113 points. Charles Leclerc is 6th with 80 points, and Sainz is 7th with 68 points. Obviously, Russell doesn't have any points that Williams is constantly in a tough position, but he has made it into Q3 in each of the last two races. So, Jared, I'll ask you, how do you rank these drivers and assess their performances so far? Oh, man, it's so t- I mean, it's always tough to rate between cars. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with my original... Uh, rankings though and then i think i still think leclerc is better than lando and then in my opinion if leclerc were in a mclaren he would be doing the same things that lando is doing uh it's you know and he's obviously he's doing better than carlos and i, I think he's a better driver than carlos overall and but lando you know, like has no doubt made a huge leap and is really like the mature the like uh the leader of the mclaren team when you thought like it could have mm-hmm. been daniel ricardo being like the put his arm around Lando's shoulder and help him develop when it's actually mm-hmm. kind of the other way, the, the other way around. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, and kind of showing it's tough to see. Like if I feel like if Carlos were in the McLaren again this year and Lando was making this jump, then I'd be like, okay, maybe Lando's better than Leclerc, but Ricardo like struggling this year, y- you don't really know what that means. If Leclerc, if, if mm-hmm. the, if Ricardo's the one falling off or if Lando's just that much better now, you know what I mean? So that's why I still think Leclerc is better than Lando, and then I would go Signs, and then obviously Russell. We'll get into Russell in a little bit, but what do you? What are your thoughts? 
So I might say something a little controversial here, but I'm going to, on a couple fronts, if I'm going to rank them uh, one through four, I'm going to go number one, Lando Norris, number two, Carlos Sainz, number three, Charles Leclerc, and number four, George Russell. And I'll start with Lando. I think what has been so impressive for me with Lando this season, not just because I'm a McLaren homer, but is because his consistency is just unmatched. Go through fourth, third, fifth, eighth, third, fifth, 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 third, fourth. He just consistently puts in excellent, excellent performances. Mm-hmm. And he's never had to retire the car yet this year. And obviously some of that's out of his control, but he's stayed in every single race. He has three podiums so far this year. And I think you mentioned Daniel Ricciardo being in the car earlier. Like I think... The fact that he's consistently outperformed him when Daniel Ricciardo was a driver who has such a history of success, especially when he was with Red Bull, I think is a very good sign for Lando. And more than anything else, the fact that he is third in the driver's standings and just consistently seems to outperform Leclerc and Sainz, um, I think gives him the edge for me. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's two things. One, it's McLaren homerism. And two, I think it's just his consistency and putting in really good results. Because I think the McLaren car is better than the Ferrari, but I don't think it's like dramatically better. But he seems to be putting in dramatically better results than both of the Ferrari guys. And then again, for me, it's very tight between Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. But I think I'm going to go with Sainz. I know, unpopular opinion. I think Leclerc just seems to consistently underperform expectations where Sainz exceeds what? them. I think he does. I Why? think I wrote this in my notes. I think he's a bit of Ben Simmons syndrome in which I don't <laughs> think he's gotten that much better since joining Ferrari. And a lot of that is up to the car. But I just think that like at this point, like his first season was so excellent. He won the pole award in his first year at Ferrari for most poles. And the car fell off a little bit. But I just... Him and Sainz have the same number of podiums this year. I think that, like, mm. I don't know. And he's been in that car for three years at this point. Is that correct? Or is this his yeah. Sainz first year in the cars? I think he seems to be showing signs of improvement. And while, or in the notes, I think maybe you give him the slight edge now. I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next couple of years, if they both sit Ferrari, if Sainz said just closer and closer and closer. Because we've talked about this with him mm. before. Everywhere he's gone, he has gotten better. And it's been sort of a consistent process of him slowly improving. And the point that he's at now is not that far behind Charles Leclerc in terms of performances. Mm -hmm. And so while he's in a slightly better position now, uh, Leclerc, I think there's a case to be made for Sainz being the better driver and having a chance to uh, pass Leclerc. And then as far as Russell goes, he's lowest just because we've seen the least from him on race day. Like the, the qualifying stuff is impressive, but at the end of the day, like that's not what matters and obviously it's hard being in the williams but uh always regressing from your qualifying to your race day is like not a good sign (laughs) driver quality and like again i don't know how much of that to attribute to the car versus him but i don't like you can put him anywhere but fourth among those guys yeah well i think all right so going back to um leclerc signs over leclerc I don't agree that he's been underperforming. I think he always overperforms his car, in my opinion. And that he's getting... I think he's making the Ferrari... I mean, well, Carlos is doing pretty well on it, too. But, like, I always think he gets the most out of the whatever car he's driving. Like, when you look at what he was able to do last year, for example, compared to what Vettel was able to do in that car. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, my, like, the problem with Leclerc is he's he's a little, like, uh, impulsive, it seems like. And he he, like, kind of... 
he's still inexperienced in like wheel to wheel racing. Like we had, he had mm-hmm. like two incidents, right, with Perez um, in mm-hmm. Austria. It might have been the steer, no, the Austrian Grand Prix, I think. Mm-hmm. Then, then um, honestly, you saw it in like this race when Lewis passed him. He kind of like made a mistake and like got squirrely and like mm-hmm. uh, on the outside and like kind of let Lewis through. You know what I mean? Where somebody a more experienced driver might have fought that a little bit better i think and mm-hmm. he like on the radio he kind of has like more outbursts than than like carlos or other drivers do um and i mean like he just made he makes like more stupid mistakes i think than like the pole like the pole lap in monaco for example yeah. like he yeah. he kind of makes more stupid mistakes than uh other drivers do and that's one yeah. thing that's holding him back but but here's the, the, here's the thing to keep in mind though when you look at 2019 mm-hmm. stats is that Ferrari was literally cheating that year. So Yeah, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> so of course <laughs> you're going to take a step back a little bit, right? Yeah, but I think uh, the, the sort of like impulsiveness and the overreaction sort of gets into like the Ben Simmons syndrome to me and like just like there doesn't seem to be improvement or maturity. Like he still seems to have that attitude of like like he, he can't compose himself during a race to like do what is best and like not overreact to things and get into incidents. And like mm-hmm. that for me is a little concerning and like science just always seems to be, you know, composed and with it. And I think that like composed. eventually once he has as much time in the car as Charles Leclerc has had, I don't know. I we'll think see. there's a chance he could be the better driver, but the I mean, only we'll see. time if, will tell him that. If if Carlos finishes ahead of Leclerc in the drivers this year, I'd mm-hmm. be. I mean, Carlos is my favorite driver personally. I'd be really surprised and pleasantly surprised. That'd be that'd mm-hmm. be a, a nice surprise. And b- back to Lando too. He's only 21 years old, which is crazy. Yeah, like he's crazy. progressing. <laughs> I mean, and Carlos is is already 26, and like he's in his seventh season. So mm-hmm. Lando's like rate of progression is pretty impressive. Yeah. I've also been just impressed with, like, the McLaren car in general oh, yeah. this year. Like, I don't know, like, like even Daniel Ricciardo, who I think is underperformed in that car, is still, like, doing well at this point. He put yeah. in P5 today. Um, I think that car is closer to the top two cars than I really thought it would be. And it's not, like, close to the top two cars, but it's closer than I thought it would yeah. be. Well, I mean, uh, Lando could have potentially got a podium in this race if they didn't mess up his pit stop, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Going to George Russell again real quick, though. Mm-hmm. You can't look at how he's driving this year, though, and be Total Wolf and not and not give him the second seat at Mercedes. You have to give George Russell that second mm-hmm. seat, in my opinion. You think so? Hamilton has basically made it clear he doesn't want Russell as his teammate because he doesn't want, like, another... He doesn't want, like, a young and hungry guy trying to mm-hmm. take his trying to take a spot, essentially. Like, yeah. it's, not, it's not the fact that Lewis is, like, scared of the fight... But he doesn't want to be fighting two fronts. He doesn't want to be fight. Mm-hmm. He, I think he's pretty much said that that he, it's a different thing than when you're like you're fighting against these other teams, and then you also have Nico Rosberg that's also trying to take my crown too, mm-hmm. and is on the same yeah. team as me, and I interact with him every day. It's a, it's like a different dynamic. I know he does. I mean, he's basically said he doesn't want that, and that's what George Russell would bring. So, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, if Mercedes loses this year though, and Hamilton still like races well in the eight, like. Maybe he wins the individual, the driver's mm-hmm. championship, but they lose the constructors. Mercedes has to take a look and be like, would George Russell give us those extra points? And I think he would. Based off the one race that he had with Mercedes uh, back in yeah. last year, I think he would. You think that's, that's, that's a sample size of one, though. Like, I know, I don't but, know but look, at, look at what he's doing at Williams. He's never been, I think he's never been out-qualified by his teammate. Maybe one time, I think. I think it was one time. It yeah. happened earlier this year, but I think, yeah. 
But no, no, no. Uh, I don't know if that's more a reflection on him or maybe Latifi's just not. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I think just know. like uh, the the concern for me is the regression on race day every single time. Yeah, like, he he never keeps his point finishes, and like I know things change over the course of like a qualifying lap versus an entire race, but I don't know. There is uh, something just gives me very slight pause that they always he always just. Seems to go back. He gets off to really bad starts. I feel like every time, like it's yeah. not just like he gets passed consistently as the race goes on. It's like he'll start P nine and then be like P fourteen, yeah, like, relapse yeah. in. And so, like again, he was good when he was in the Mercedes for one race last year. But I'm just like not. I don't think I'm. And this is a bit of a change of opinion from what I had before from last year. I just I'm just not as sold on him as being like a great great driver as I think lots of other people are. I'm pretty sold, actually. <laughs> I'm not okay, going to lie. Okay. I'm, like, pretty sold on him already. So I, I, I'm excited to see what he can do when he actually gets a real car. So Yeah, me as well. Because I just think it's so hard to judge, it's like, so hard, yeah. the Williams car at this point. Because it's just, I don't know. It's yeah. tough. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to judge any, any like, comparison between two cars, drivers between mm-hmm. two cars. But um, let's just finish it off real quick. Drive to Survive has some really awesome material for this next mm-hmm. season. They'll yeah. probably freaking blow it and like make up some like Russell Latifi beef and like spend a whole episode <laughs> on that. But uh, how do you think? Just kind of to like you can get, you can talk about anything else you want throughout the season. Essentially, like mm-hmm. if you're if you're part of that the storyboarding crew at Drive to Survive at Netflix's Drive to Survive crew, what are some storylines that you want to frame and like what narratives are do you think are going to be pushed? So I wrote nine narratives that might potentially... Let's go. Nice. The last one's kind of a joke, so we'll we'll go with eight and then whatever. Um, Number one, I think the absolute dominant narrative this year is going to be Red Bull versus Mercedes, Max versus Lewis, Horner versus Toto. I think for the first time ever since they've had Drive to Survive, there's been a true championship fight across all fronts. So I think that that's absolutely going to be the dominant narrative throughout the season. It's like all the individual little battles within the championship battles. So like... I mean, especially Max Lewis, Horner, Toto. I think they'll spend a lot, a lot of time on those. Second, I think Lando's rise and his sort of bromance with Zach Brown, the team owner for McLaren, I think is going to be pushed pretty heavily, especially in the McLaren episode. And like a sub-McLaren plot will just be like <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo regressing at every team he's been at, essentially, mm-hmm. and how difficult that's been. But I think that like Lando's rise is going to be a, a pretty big storyline and his just consistency of performance. Can I build um, off I think, that real quick? Absolutely. Go so this it. is there's going to be a camera. I guarantee you, there's going to be a camera shot of Daniel Ricciardo like sitting like kind of in a corner by himself, mm-hmm. and then like three mechanics talking to Lando or something like that. Uh-huh. That's yeah, definitely going to be absolutely like, see it. <laughs> that'll uh-huh. be a shot in there somewhere. It's gonna be if, a push I, if I envision a shot. I'll interject real quick and, and, and put it. Perfect. Let me know. Third, Ferrari's return to form. I think that that's going to be an, an important narrative that, like, on the Ferrari episode, they're going to push that, like, well, they're not, like, at their few years ago's best. Like, they're not horrible anymore. So I think that that's definitely going to be a narrative. Okay. Um, I think Bottas being second fiddle is going to be a narrative again, just based on what we've seen this season and the times he's had to let Lewis pass. Sometimes he didn't let Lewis pass him. It's sort of, like, snippy comments that have sometimes gone back and forth between him and Toto, I think. <laughs> I think is going to play into it. I think despite uh, Perez being better this year, I still think there's going to be the narrative of Red Bull's second driver being inconsistent mm. and that seat always just sort of being tough to be in. I'm curious uh, about With that Max being the number well. one. I think that that's at least going to be a subplot. Um, I think they're going to briefly, they're going to talk about in the Aston Martin episode, their regression and then how that sort of relates to the racing point controversy from the year before. Yeah. 
I think they're going to talk about how just awful Haas is and just like the absolute nightmare that they are. Um, and then I think like the final like real narratives that they're going to talk a lot about in the Williams episode, George Russell being stuck on a bad team and how he just can't live up to the high expectations that are set for him because he's just stuck on such a bad team. And like maybe by the end of the year, he gets a different seat in a different car and that narrative is framed differently. But I think that that's going to be a big one. And then I tried to come up with one for Alpine, but they're just so irrelevant. I feel like this year that like I don't even know what they're going to talk about. That was like my last note. Yeah. So, yeah. What about you? What okay. do you think? I didn't write down any notes, but I'm kind of spitballing. I I think they aren't going to do. I think they'll do like honestly, you could devote like maybe three or four episodes to like Max to Max Horner, Total and Lewis. That's basically mm-hmm. like that's basically what the yeah. the fight's coming down to. There will, I think there definitely will be like a second Red Bull drive, second seat of the Red Bull or the second Red Bull seat. There will be an episode that kind of like focuses on that. Yeah. I don't think they're going to do an episode that focuses on like Bottas in the context of Mercedes. I think it's going to be Bottas versus Russell. I think they, they better yeah, do that. I think that that's, I think that's going to be a big thing. Cause there's well, so especially much, especially as the air goes on, there's already so much like real life tension. Like they don't have to fabricate mm-hmm. anything. There already yeah. is like, they got in a crash this year and like, Russell's doing well where Bottas has had some really bad races. Mm-hmm. I think that'll happen. What was another? I think they actually are going to present Ferrari as a, as still like not as getting better. It's just going to be like, they suck or like, it's just going to uh, be like, I think, so. I think it's going to be a bit of a redemptive arc there. I think, no, I, think like... it's, I think what they're going to do is they're going to show this race and they're like, Charles Leclerc is leading 50 of the 52 laps and then gets passed on lap 51. And then they're, and it's going to mm-hmm. be like Ferrari's disappointed and like, there's pressure on Bonotto or whatever it is, you know. That's fair. I can see that. Yeah. I, I think that's how they're going to position it, and in, in in my opinion, for just like obviously from what we have now, the season's not finished. Mm-hmm. I think they'll give some time. They love. I mean, people love Gasly, so they're going to give some time to him and being like, he's stuck on AlphaTauri, and like, mm-hmm. I mean, he hasn't really been driving that well to be honest these last couple of races, but throughout the season he has been. Mm-hmm. Um. And then yeah, the rest of the teams like they'll they'll give them some screen time, and mm-hmm. they're not really that interesting though. The rest of the teams. No, I, don't agree. I mean yeah, like Alpine, Aston Martin is like kind of interesting, but because they have the stroll and like they're they're not cheating or they're not tracing other teams' mm-hmm. designs anymore. Alpha I don't really Mayo, know. If, I don't think. So. Yeah, Alfa Romeo is like they've never even gotten an episode really actually. They got, uh, like, a bit of one, I think, on last season where they talked to Giovinazzi very briefly. But oh, like, yeah. even that is, like, yeah. Well, because Kimmy doesn't doesn't speak, so they're not going to yeah. get much out of him. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I mean, Williams, like, they're not going to focus on Latifi. They didn't really do anything for Latifi last year, I don't yeah. think. It's just going to be Bottas Russell. And then, yeah, Haas, Gunther, you got to give Gunther Steiner some screen time, so. You do. Um, I'm excited be in to, yeah, and how Haas just – might not even be in F1 at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be the same thing. They'll be like, we need some more money, Gene, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just embarrassing. Like, I feel bad. No, I don't really. But, like, it's just, like, embarrassing to, like, just be so much worse than everybody else, yeah. I feel like. That, I mean, it's Especially when you have uh, Mick Schumacher on your team. Yeah. It's a tough, yeah. it's a tough look. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But in the meantime, keep listening to our podcast. Um, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on SoundCloud. That's where you can find us. Um, and give us a follow across all social media. We're most active on Instagram, but we also have Twitter. Um, you can interact with us there, vote in our polls, and tell us how wrong we are about everything F1 related. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.